0: But uh, as we were singing that uh, song, there I was reminded. As we're we're going to be preaching today out of Luke 15, the prodigal father, prodigal son, depending on how you've heard it, and it hit me as we are singing. This was actually the first passage I ever did a sermon on, and I believe I was a sophomore in college at a fresh at a, a campus retreat and kind of sharing my story. And you know, this this uh, maybe for that reason, but this parable really is has a special place in my heart there and i think it hits a lot of us if we've heard it before about the son that goes away from the family and comes back and there there's reunite you're reunited and so there's a lot of like family separation and family reunification and celebrating and uh partying afterwards and you know uh i Many of us can relate to the, the story because it really shows the, the love of God in a, in a particular way where he breaks a lot of social rules to just lavish his love on us. And that's why I wanted this, this is probably one of my favorites. Um, I know at the time when I preached this, I was a little bit closer to this moment, but it also shows a son that hits rock bottom, right? And they sh- he's in the pig pen, and he's at the worst place of his entire life, and he looks up. And he he kind of it says he comes to his senses. And then he maybe you can relate to that moment. I can remember that time when they first come to my senses and go, "What am I doing with myself? Let me try God out." And that's kind of where it all started for for not just for me, but maybe for a lot of you. So this is a really uh, special sermon in that way. So on that note, let's have a prayer and we'll uh, we'll jump in here. Uh, Father, we do. Uh, Pray for this time as we look into your word that we can really see your heart and we can see uh, just what you want from us, God, in this season when we're trying to come back to you and trying to uh, reunite and realign with you and repent in our lives, God, that we can prepare the way uh, for the resurrection that you want to bring to us, God. Uh, I pray you get me out of the way that your word will speak and your spirit will move. We love you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So he starts off in, in Luke chapter 15. It's, Jesus starts off. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told him this parable. And so he kind of begins, he tells them actually not just this parable, but he tells them three different parables right in a row Basically making the same point, and it's probably a little bit of a different point than what I already mentioned. That wasn't Jesus' main point, although those are really great points. But if you can imagine being in this room where Jesus is teaching people that the religious people are surprised, and they're not saying it out loud, but they're kind of whispering, like, what is Jesus doing? He's talking to those people. He should be over here. I mean, it's not said, but it's more like he should be over here talking to us. But he's over there talking with them. And then Jesus tells a story about the lost sheep and how God would leave. The shepherd would leave the ninety nine to go find the lost sheep and then come back. And everyone's rejoicing. Then he tells another story about a woman who loses a coin that represents her, her wedding And so she sweeps the whole room at night. She doesn't wait for the morning, and then she finds it and rejoices, and everyone comes and has a party with her. And then he saves the biggest story and the most scandalous story for last. And we're going to see that today. I don't think too many people had a problem with the first two stories, but we're going to see Jesus getting into this idea of this, who we hang out with and who we extend our Love to and who we, how we extend mercy and how we deal with different things in our Christian life. You know this this time of year as we're talking about uh, coming to to the resurrection. This is kind of our fourth week in this series of repentance and realigning with God. And it seems like everything that I'm reading has to do with the cross or Jesus carrying the suffering in the world. And I said, oh, let me pick up this other. Uh, devotional book by Ann Voskamp it's called The Abundant Life so I start reading The Abundant Life and it's all about suffering and hardship and making you know lemonade out of lemons and all these things so it's it's been a bit heavy I don't know if you you feel that way when you look around at the world I think when God looks around the world he feels pretty heavy If God were to watch some of the things that we news channels that we watch, He already knows what's going on. But it's pretty heavy, and so to think about being getting rest from that heaviness and getting separation from that pain and being resurrected is is quite a thought. And even this week, as we we had we we turned in two papers for our master's program on Wednesday. I mean, on Friday, and then we hung out with Abe and Kelly, and then we had the Sabbath all day yesterday. And it was really, that's kind of my gift to God or his gift to me, to just say, hey, God, you know, I'm not in control. Whatever happens in this 24-hour period, the world doesn't need me to succeed. The church will survive without me for 24 hours. And so, you know, during those times, you tend to get some different texts and... what maybe someone would call an emergency. I don't know if God would call an emergency, but for us, there's emergencies. And But just that exercise of trusting God is kind of my way of, of trying to get back in alignment with God, that I'm not really as important as I think I am. That God is the one that's been spinning the world, and he'll keep spinning it long after I'm gone. And, you know, it's been really... Um, we're so grateful, even as we've talked about, uh, some of you weren't there, some of you were. We've talked about going on a sabbatical here in a couple months in May. And it's just a reminder that, that we're human, that, that life takes its toll on all of us, that I have a need for God, that we try to come to church and make it like we're all good and everyone's, we're fired up and all that, and sometimes we're, we're not. That our productivity is not the Lord of our lives. Jesus is the Lord of our lives. That's good for you to know, too, not just me. Right? That God doesn't really care what you do. He wants you to love him. You know, and and in case you're wondering, some of you have been around churches for a while, that no one's getting fired or moved or this is not, you know, we're not on probation or anything this uh, sabbatical. If you... If you're laughing, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I mean, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, so God is doing a new thing. We're grateful for all of you. We're hopeful to see what God is going to do with us, but not just with us, but with all of you. That this can be a new level of healthiness in our churches, that it can be a normal thing for ministers. That every seven years they can take a time to be refreshed and get inspired. And if you think about it, it's kind of a creative job. Right. So if you lose your mojo, so to speak, like it it affects all of us, you know, so I'm excited. I I thank you for your prayers and ask for your prayers. Uh, But in this time of of coming back to God, I'm uh, I'm encouraged to see what God is going to do even today. As we remember that we were the ones wandering in the desert. You know, we were the ones rebelling against God. We were the ones grumbling and complaining that we're the ones that need to get back to our first love to remember how far we've fallen. And I believe that that's what Jesus did. And when we're around him, that he wants to call us back. And this is a call back to that today. But we're going to talk about some interesting principles today of purity and holiness and mercy and hospitality. And you might be wondering, what does that have to do with anything? But Jesus came to demonstrate both. How pure and holy God is that when you look in the Bible, that they couldn't even come near to God. That they couldn't even stand on the mountain. That it was like, man, God is this incredible fire that we got to be careful. And they were afraid. And then Jesus comes and he has that same spirit. And you see a lot of it when he goes out to be tempted in the wilderness. And Satan comes to him and he says, serve the Lord and worship him only. Put nothing before God. And then he tempts him again. He says, do not put the Lord to the test. Don't mess around with God. He goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration with his friends, and he's just like glowing in the purity and holiness of God. I don't know if, he, if his face was still shining, but imagine just being there with him as he's, just basking in the purity and holiness of God that could only be reflected off of his purity and holiness. And then he also has these teachings of, that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. This passage that we're looking at today when he said that he came down to be with sinners and tax collectors. And he says not to judge, or you'll be judged. If you don't have any sin, then you throw the first stone. And he says, as you love people like me, people will see God. So you have this tension of the holiness of God and then the mercy and hospitality of Jesus. Where he honors God, but he breaks all these rules that they had had made so that they would be sure they would honor God. And so their rules actually worked against what God was trying to do. And you were actually seen as holy if you stood away from these tax collectors and sinners. So you were revered by the church or the temple, but you were condemned by Jesus because you did this thing. That probably started out of a good heart to want to honor and revere God. You know, we, we've not been immune to this practice in the church, and not just our church, but in a lot of different churches. There's a thing in our church that I believe started with a good heart that many of you know as purity culture. And again, like if I said before, if you don't know what that is, then that's a good thing. But basically, these were, these became, because we of a desire to stay holy and pure, that we made up these laws and rules that would... Kind of keep us holy and keep us separate and keep us pure. And it became kind of uh, filled with things saying like, hey, cover yourself. Don't show too much skin. Wear baggy clothes. Have chaperones. Have curfews. And be careful of your purity. And some of you are smiling because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't, then amen, be, gra- be glad. <laughs> and again, all this was happening because we wanted to be holy and please God. And yet, what was the result that people felt like we didn't trust them? That if we had 10 dating couples and one of them messed up in their purity, then it affected all 10 of them. And the other nine felt like, hey, what did we do? We're being judged for someone else and we should be trying to help them to repent anyways and have mercy on them, too. That we blame the girls for the boys struggling. Or we blame the women for the men struggling. And so they got in trouble because this person had a problem. That didn't work too well. It didn't make them feel very loved or trusted. But then on the other side, when someone struggled with purity, then that became like a sin that had extra shame and extra guilt and extra self-hatred that was attached. And yet we say all sins are equal and they all separate us from God, but these are like the really big ones. We didn't do that. Well, how do you feel about someone that has a sexual sin, maybe goes with a prostitute versus someone that loses their temper or someone that's prideful or someone that's lazy and late? Are they really the same? You know, this is exactly the situation that Jesus was stepping into. This world where the sexual sins and all these other things were elevated and others were pushed down. Pride surely wasn't very dealt with. And so he goes in and starts pushing these buttons. And before I continue, I just want to say that we need to stop that. We need to stop that. I'm not blaming every individual in here, but I do want to apologize for my part in this whole thing. And as a church and our Culture, our system, whatever you want to call it, that we created this thing called purity culture. That we blamed women and we shamed men. And we elevated sexual sin above others. And we need to stop that. And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to do in this story. Don't do that. Amen. Thank you. We're going to talk about disgust psychology. Has anybody ever heard of this? I'm going to seem really smart today. <laughs> Based on the book that I read two weeks ago, right? So don't, don't, not crazy here. Disgust psychology is one of the seven emotions that's considered universal when we have an aversion to things that are offensive. And I'm just, I would put the purity into this category and that's, we're gonna see how this kinda plays out. That's why I'm doing this. You know, in COVID, we maybe experienced some of this. In the middle of COVID, if someone walked in anywhere without a mask, what would happen? Get away! It'd be like, no! Get away from me! Is it too soon? Not funny yet? Okay. (laughs) And part of it was, it's meant for safety, but there's another part of it, I thought that would be funnier. Uh, uh, There's another part of it that there was this disgust psychology happening, and it usually has to do with sight, smell, touch, sound, things that are gross, infecting, quarantining, those type of things, but there's like this expulsion reflex or pushing, shoving, excluding, separating reflex that happens. It's not a calm thing. It's a violent thing. And that's what happened with this story with Jesus, but that's kind of with the mask story. It was like a violent, like, get out. You're like, hey, man, calm down. I didn't mean anything, any harm by it. But that is the, the thing that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to go through a few examples of this. I don't know if a few... A few years ago, we gave out these for Father's Day. You guys remember that? All I remember is that a year later, I looked in my fridge. Still there. I'm like, you know what? I, think, I don't think I need this. Root beer. I think I might have had the dad's cream soda, which to me is even worse. How many people like root beer? Okay. How many? Okay. So, <laughs> what I, I learned that root beer is, to some people, root beer is disgusting. Okay, Nikki says a big amen there. I watched people in Ireland, they were disgusted by it. And we're going to watch a short video of some a, a kid with his Japanese friends trying root beer for the first time. <laughs> Tell me what you think. <laughs> See that? he's got the face and everything she likes it it's awesome those guys went before some of them hated it he loved it I couldn't show you all of it because we you know we're at church but some people tried it and didn't like it and there's a few people that really liked it, you know. But who who knew that root beer was disgusting? I just thought, hey, it's a preference if you don't like it. But I never realized people could hate it quite so much. You know, there's a website. There's a place in Sweden, actually. They have this disgusting food museum. If you're ever there, it might be an interesting thing. So for the next uh, couple minutes, I'm going to try to see if I can make you feel disgusted. OK, so we get the idea. We want to know what we're talking about here. I tried to rank them in like the least disgusting to most disgusting. So we're going to start. Uh, you might not remember anything about the sermon, but you might remember some of these. Um, this fruit called durian this in Thailand. Anybody ever had that? It's supposed to smell horrible and be terrible. You, you tried it? It stunk up the house. Okay, so that, that's a, an idea of disgusting and affecting senses. I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Suman uh, stroming, fermented herring from Sweden. When you look at the picture on the left, it looks like it might be kind of good, but then you look on the right of what it looks like coming out of the can. That's pretty bad, right? Anybody want to try that? What? It's a herring. It's a whole herring, yeah. I don't know what that, what that is there, but that looks pretty bad, right? So anybody want to try that? Okay, we're going to go over to Iceland now, not too far. Hakari, fermented shark. You can just see that shark there. They just let it rot. And then they cut it up in little cubes. And actually, people love it. It is the national food of Iceland. Right, I can see everybody expressing their disgust right now. That's perfect. Uh, okay, this next one from Sardinia. Anybody know where Sardinia is? Italy. Italy. Alright, thanks Lewis. Thought Gina might come up there with that one. I didn't, I never heard of Sardinia before, so it's one of those islands outside of Italy other than Sicily. Um, here they have Kazumarzi, fermented cheese with Cheese fly larvae. And so they let the larvae break it down. And then they actually serve it. Some of them, they actually serve it with the live larvae in it. Like in the middle, like a little cherry on top, but it's larvae instead. I'm having fun with this. I shouldn't be having so much fun with this. But... And then I saved the the worst, I think the worst for last. That I had a it was either four or five, but this is the last. One. <laughs> Roasted guinea pig from Peru. It's supposed to be a delicacy down there. Okay, four. Okay, I, I was wondering about that, but anyway, I'll, I'll get off of it. I'll get off of it. Um, oh, it's, it's unscrewed. Okay, I'm unscrewed. Okay, there we go. Okay, so the discussed psychology, that's why we did all that in case you forgot. So now we're going to read. I'm going to read Luke chapter 15 and just kind of think about these different things that were disgusting to the people that were hearing what he was saying. And also think about the loving father and, and how he's welcoming that all the things that we said before. But to really get to what Jesus was saying, these Verses are going to probably stand out. Uh, I'll just start reading and may pause here and there. In verse 11, it said, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. That was offensive. He was basically saying, dad, I want my inheritance now. I don't care if you're not dead yet. I want it now, and I'm going to go use it for however I want. How would that go over? That wouldn't be... I don't know that many of us would even do that. I don't know if any of us would do that, but the Father does it. That's pretty amazing. He does it. He says, not, not long after that, the, the younger son got off all he had, set off for a distant country. Now, what does that mean? Gentiles. He's going to hang with those people. There is so much anger towards the Gentiles. That was another button that Jesus is pushing. He said, and there he squandered his wealth. And all of our Dave Ramsey fans just cringe. He squandered it all. In wild living. Sexually overtoned living. Just wild. Whatever, Anything goes. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Disgusting. They were not, you weren't allowed to eat them. You weren't allowed to own them. You weren't allowed to be around them as a Jew. So he's just going there, and this is not only that. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. So he wanted to eat pig food, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. This is the good part. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And I'm kind of reading through the lines right here. But the people that Jesus is talking to are saying, no way, you don't have a chance of being taken back. You're too far. You're, you're out. Right? You're excluded. You're, 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 sep- you're, you're separate. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. People were shocked. The son said to his father, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And they had this amazing party. But can you imagine what it was like, this reunion with the father and the son, and your son who's been living with pigs, lost all your money, lost all his righteousness, all his holiness, all his everything, and he's running to you, and then you're hugging him. Even that was probably a little disgusting. He's dirty. I mean, this is God we're talking about. But even even that love, I mean, it was kind of a... We're never going to get rid of that as people, right? This is a universal thing, but God wants us to get past it. If he came down this aisle and I started hugging him, I'd probably be grossed out too. But that doesn't mean we can't love him that doesn't mean we can't get past that and God wants to get us not to be that way to get beyond some of those little things that we have or big things that we have let's go to the older son he says meanwhile the older son was in the field when he came near the house and all the people that Jesus was talking to the older son is is them okay when he came near the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The servants all excited. You could tell. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So right, so he's pushing him out. No, I'm not. We're not having fellowship. Uh-uh. You ain't coming back. He, His father went out and pleaded with him and he answered his father, look, I've been... All these years I've been slaving for you. So he just looks at his service as just slave, slavery. I've never disobeyed your orders. I'm just following the rules, doing all the things I'm supposed to do. He sounds real, they sound real close. And you can just picture this tension as Jesus is telling this story. With people that have all these rules, exclude people, and don't aren't close to Jesus at this moment. He says, you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property, property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The most amazing part of this story is we never know how the older brother responds. Or we kind of do know how the older brother responds because Jesus is crucified. That's what he, who he was talking to. And so how does this relate to all of us in our return to God in this time of year? Our purity and holiness and mercy and hospitality. Think about how can we return to God in the ways that we relate to that younger son that we've turned away from God and we've cast in our inheritance. We've spent it on worthless things. We've gotten to the bottom of the pig pen that we can always look up and come back. Even if everyone around us says it's a waste of time, Jesus thinks it's still worthwhile and will still meet us on the road. Praise God for that. In our desire for holiness, to consider if we do push people away, Like the tax collectors and the sinners in our lives. To watch ourselves that we're not overly righteous. That we're pure and holy, but we're not overly righteous. That we don't forget people in our desire to be clean. Also that we, maybe we need to, as a part of us realigning with God, we need to reclaim everything that the Father has given us. He said, everything I have is yours. You shouldn't feel like you're a slave. You shouldn't feel like you're just obeying all these rules. This should be us hanging out. We should be having a party, celebrating, seeing, recognizing all that we have in Christ. And we need to celebrate the resurrection of the dead as we're looking forward to the resurrection in a few weeks, but to celebrate that all around us. I mean, I was in, almost in tears when Jasmine was sharing her story because it was just God's resurrecting one thing after the next. Even with her grandfather. Was it your grandfather? Her father. Her father. I was just like, wow. That was just like an extra thing that God loves to do. So we need to rejoice, rejoice with Pedro, who was baptized this week, but rejoice with all of us as we go through. We're rejoicing with Ashley and Mark and Jackie. And, you know, my favorite part of the whole day was little Kenneth just giving his dad a high five and just saying, good job, dad. (laughs) He was all excited. Let's take a moment to think about these things. And as you do, look around. All these people around you are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to line themselves up with God. They're trying to repent and to be the ones that accept, that have holiness, but also have mercy and hospitality. And they're also coming to Jesus. That we're all, when we take communion, we're all coming to Jesus together. And I found these verses uh, this week, which you probably can't read. In Joshua chapter 5, but they all have to do with this mercy and coming back to Jesus, coming back to God. And In Joshua chapter 5, it says, the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. That all those years of slavery and all the time that you rebelled in the desert, he said, today I'm rolling that away. And I couldn't help but just picture the stone being rolled away. It wasn't an accident that he used those words to foreshadow Jesus and his resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 5, it relates to our story. It says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And that's what we celebrate as we take communion. And finally, in Psalm 32, this is David. One of the Psalms that he wrote after Bathsheba, this unforgivable sin. After God forgives him, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Let's pray as we take our uh, communion together and return to God. God, I pray that you uh, help us all to come back to you to return in our hearts, to return in our lives, to return in our spirits, to, to be who you want us to be, to, to feel what you feel, to rejoice with those who are resurrected, to feel for the world, to have our heart break for one another. Uh, thank you so much for Jesus that he went to the cross for us, that he shed his body and his blood to, to show us love, to show us that he'll, he, he doesn't want to push us away that he wants to pull us close. God, I pray that as we repent individually and even as a group, that you will bring times of refreshing like you promised, that you'll bring times of blessing and times of encouragement and rest that we need. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.